guys doing today? You doing all right? Good to see you. Uh, I'm so glad. Man, it's, it's exciting to see everybody. I don't see everybody that much. And, and um, just, uh, about two-thirds of our church, two-thirds of our church still hasn't come back yet. They're still wa- we know they're with us. They're watching us online. Hello, by the way. I'm glad you're with us. And uh, but that reminds me, get ready for a big change that's coming two weeks from today. Two weeks from today, we're going to put all of our efforts into three different worship experiences at one time. Uh, we're going to go one service, three experiences. Thanks to technology, we can, uh, we can minister. it's going to be a live service, one on uh, Facebook, the other on our live platform, and one live here. So remember that, we're, we're going to temporarily do this. Temporarily, we're going to go to one service, and uh, we're going to put all of our efforts into one thing, but we're going to offer it, you can watch it three different ways, Facebook Live, online platform, and live. So uh, that's going to, we're going to, we'll have more chairs, there won't be an issue with social distancing or anything like that, but anyway, just you might, might want to write that down. Everybody say August 9th. 10 a.m. August 9th, 10 a.m. Now, if you get here at 9.30, you'll be 30 minutes early for church, and you may not know what to do with yourself 30 minutes early for church. So anyway, hey, uh, anyway, don't forget about that. This series that we're calling Intervention is something that uh, I'm, I'm really excited about because I feel like we're called to this, and it's something different. Today's message is probably something, and I'm probably going to read some messages or some scripture passages today that many of us haven't heard before, but I believe that God has called us to this. You know, when you surrender your life to the Lord, you join up for his path for your life. You step into a place of favor. You step into a relationship with a God who loves you and cares about what's going on in your life, even to the extent that whatever happens to you, whether it's bad. I want you to think of the worst thing that's ever happened to you. God didn't cause it, but he can actually bring good out of it. In fact, his word tells us in Romans that he will bring good out of every situation for those that love him. Well, Psalm 37 and 23 says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. The Lord directs the steps of those who follow him, who are called, who have given their lives to Christ, The Lord directs their steps. But I want you to realize, uh, I want you to realize there is nothing random about your life. Today can feel like a little bit of chaos. Tomorrow there might be some things that might go wrong. Life happens sometimes, but there's nothing random about your life, your calling, and your future. But listen to this. In Proverbs 16 and 25, it says, There is a path that seems right, or there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. There is a path that seems right. And I, I don't think this is just for people that don't follow Christ. I think this is also for people that follow Christ that can sometimes get off track. That There is a path. There is a way of life. There is a lifestyle that seems right. It feels right, but actually ends in death. It actually works out for your destruction. It, it, this is, this is, it feels good for me. It's right for me. It seems like the right path to go. The scripture says, and this is why we got to live by the word of God, because it can feel right, but actually be wrong. Well, what happens? What happens? I believe, and that's the idea of intervention, that the Lord will disrupt our path for destruction. As hard as we try to try to destroy our lives, he will disrupt our plan 
And he will send his spirit. He will send his word. He's already sent his son into the world. And today I want to talk specifically about how he sends his servants. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for intervening in our lives thousands of years ago in order to bring us salvation. Speak to us today by your spirit and by your word in Christ's name. And everybody said, look at your neighbor and say, I love this series. Thank you. I appreciate that. I worked hard on this. Last week, we talked about how God intervenes by first, he sent his son as a solution to salvation before you ever were born or ever gave thought to whether or not you would give your life to Christ. He sent his son as a, as a means for the, the solution for salvation. And then, if that weren't enough, he sends his scripture, which is his word. Jesus was the word uh, in flesh, the word manifest. Also, we have a Bible that confronts us every single day of our lives. How many of you know that when you read the passages in the Bible, when you read the Bible, it, it daily confronts your decisions. It daily gives you guidance. So he gives us his scripture. Uh, the third thing we talked about is that he gives us his spirit. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. When you give your life to Christ, uh, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes and he dwells on the inside of you and he, he comforts you, he directs you. Well, today I want to talk to you about how he sends his servant. When all of these things may not get through, he will actually send somebody into our lives. Let's talk about how he sends his servants, his ambassadors. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to talk to you about confrontational conversations where in the passages of the Bible, we're, gonna, we're, gonna dis, we're going to discover how God used people to speak to other, other people about things that were going on in their lives. And as we do, I want you to imagine a Savior that loves you so much that when you're headed down a path that you've chosen, that even it feels right, but it might be wrong, imagine a loving Savior that loves you so much that he will go get you. That he won't just, he won't leave you to your demise. He won't let you say, okay, well, we're going to let you learn this lesson. He will go get you. Well, in Luke, the 15th chapter, when Jesus talks about the good, uh, 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 the good shepherd, he's, he talks about who of you, and I believe that he's always speaking, he's actually speaking about himself, talking about how he goes after the lost. Would, 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 if you have a sheep, that, if you have a hundred sheep, you lose one, you leave the 99 that are safe. It seems that, that sheep, for whatever reason, they wander off and they get lost. Uh, uh, maybe they're rebellious sheep, or maybe they're disobedient, maybe they're stubborn, maybe they're just confused, maybe, maybe they're just being sheep. The idea is that we all get lost like sheep, and Jesus will go get us. Get us. He will intervene in our lives. Well, what I want to get to today is, since we are the body of Christ, Jesus is not here in the flesh, but we are now the body of Christ. Look at your neighbor and say, you are the body of Christ. Now look at your second choice neighbor and say, I am the body of Christ. Since we are the body of Christ, he uses people to intervene on his behalf. So let's talk about what that looks like. In 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter, it is the story of King David and Bathsheba. I don't know if you've heard that story, but David was at the pinnacle point of his kingdom. He was about middle age, probably, scholars believe he was pretty close to 50 years old. And it was kind of like he had conquered everything that he had been conquered. He was, he was living in his kingdom. He was wealthy. He had everything that a king could want. And one season, as his commanders and his army went to war, David stayed back. And when he did, he met a woman named 
Bathsheba and uh, Bathsheba and he fell for her they had an affair and she got pregnant so David had this plan that he would bring his command this the guy the guy's husband or the girl's husband Bathsheba's husband his name was Uriah and Uriah was actually one of David's mighty men you can read about him in Chronicles but he was one of he was very loyal to David and he was a very powerful warrior he was one of the 30 I believe of David's mighty men and he brought him into his kingdom and he's trying to trick him into going home and spending time with his wife so he can you know he can cover this up but Uriah won't do it he's like how can I go spend time with my beautiful wife when my brothers are out in the war fighting a, a battle basically David trained him with this kind of thought and when that doesn't work out David puts this plan together this scheme and he gives it to his commander actually he, he writes this in a scroll gives it to Uriah Uriah gives it to his commander which is Joab and Joab reads this it says hey put Uriah up close to the battle where it is the most fiercest and when it gets bad back the army away from him and let him die in battle, and don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And that's exactly what happens. Uriah dies in battle. Terrible, terrible story. And after this happens, David takes Bathsheba to be his wife, and she lives with him in his kingdom, and they have this child. And the end of the 11th chapter says, but the thing that David did displeased the Lord. It's kind of like, David thought he got away from it. What's, what's amazing is, is David, this was the David that killed Goliath. This was the David that God said, he's got my heart. He, he, he's got a heart that is, that is mine. This was the David that was loyal and would not kill Saul even though he had the right to. So many things that David did, these incredible things. He was on the worst path. He was making the worst decision of his life and this was a death penalty sin that that he was headed on. This, this was the path. In 2 Samuel 12 and 1, it says, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Why did the Lord send Nathan? Because David was a powerful king. You didn't just walk into the king's court, and you did not confront David. David would not be confronted. It's kind of like this. He got so wrapped up in something, and he so wanted Bathsheba that nobody confront him about it. I've seen people do that before. I've seen people get so wrapped up in something, so wrapped up in sin, so wrapped in, in thinking that they're right, that they push all, all the people, all the friends, everybody that will confront them. Every, they're not going to listen to God. They're not going to hear the messages on Sunday. They're not going to hear. Uh, they're shutting out all of their friends. How many of you have, have ever had somebody do that in their lives? Have you ever seen somebody like that? Have you ever, how many of you have, have been through that yourself? You just pushed everybody away because you didn't want to be confronted. That's where David was. But the problem, the issue here that David was loved by God. So God sent Nathan. It says, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, a baby sheep, which he had brought up. And he had, he had brought up and it grew with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsels and drink from his little cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. I'm just thinking how cute that must have been. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm like, if I, I'd like to have a little sheep. 
<laughs> okay, okay, okay. Stay focused. Okay. Um, now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for his guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the lamb who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against him. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. It's interesting that in order to confront David, what Nathan had to do is he had to take him back to the beginning. Why is he even talking about sheep? Because that's where David gets his start. He grows up in a shepherd's field. I bet David had a little, little ewe lamb that he took care of with all these hundreds or even thousands of sheep that his dad, that he took care of for years. So what he did is he was saying to him, David, you forgot who you are. You forgot where you came from. This is not you. Nobody could get through to him. That's the extent that God will go to get to us. Nathan said to David in the seventh verse says, you are the man. And I guarantee you, when Nathan pointed his finger, this old prophet pointed his finger at him and said, you are the man, I bet you that it was like a kick to the midsection, to the stomach of David at that moment. That, that oh no. Thus says the Lord, he said, I, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of the Saul. I gave you your master's house. I gave you the wives you need. He, says, he said, if that were too little, if that weren't enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why did you despise the word of God? By killing Uriah. Why did you do that, David? And after, you can read it, it's an incredible story. After that, David actually comes to a place where he sits down and he says, I've sinned against the Lord. He confesses his sin. It costs him dearly. God, God spares his life, but it costs him dearly. And you see that it chases him for the rest of his life. His, his son with Bathsheba dies. But here's the deal. When no one would confront David, when his commander wouldn't, when his family wouldn't, God sent somebody to save his life. You know that at some point, we all need to be saved from ourselves. Would you believe that? I guess that maybe, maybe you haven't experienced that in your life, but let me say it's a possibility that I know that God has to, had to save me from myself many times. That at some point, why? Because we blow it. And it's kind of like we can't help ourselves. We do things because of our human nature that God has to intervene and save our lives. It reminds me, it's, it's kind of like one of the most dangerous places or one of the most stressful places to be in at church it's in between services at the front doors because that when people open the front doors, it's like a magnet for the two-year-olds. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like somebody opens the doors and all of a sudden somebody, it's, it's kind of like somebody yells to the two-year-old kids, let's go play outside with the cars. So all the two-year-olds go like this to the front doors. I'm like, hey, they're escaping. You know what I'm saying? It's just like they can't help themselves. Are they bad kids? Are they terrible kids? No, they're just acting like kids and they need parents to intervene. It's kind of, and I see parents all the time. They're like, there the kids go. Ponytails bouncing. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, oh, you know. go. I have, seen, I have seen parents, you know, with the kids running towards the highway, run from out here to save their kids. But think about what kind of parent you would be if you'd be like, he's two years old. It's time for him to learn what happens when you get around cars. You know what I'm saying? Let him go play out in the parking lot. We'll see what happens. Shut the door. Don't let him back in. No, you don't do that because you're a good father, you're a good mother. You intervene. The Bible says all have sinned. When people need to be saved, 
as I said before, God has already sent his son. When we need to be saved, we have the scripture to reference. When we need to be saved, when we need to bring our lives in the check, we have the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of it. And if that doesn't work as a last-ditch effort for God to save us, he will actually send a person into your life. I know because I've been there. God intervenes by sending people. God intervenes into the lives of his people by sending people. Remember the story we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the the widow that had a plan. She was going to do one last meal, and then she was going to die with her son. They were going to starve to death. God brought Elijah into her life to intervene. Remember the story of Jonah, the guy that spent three days in the belly of a well. Do you know what that story was about? That was all about Nineveh. God spoke to Jonah. He says, I want you to go to Nineveh. The the wickedness of that city, the vile stench is coming up to my heavens and it's bothering me. I am going to destroy Nineveh very, very soon if they don't turn their lives around. If they don't, that city does not repent. There were about 200,000 people in Nineveh. So Jonah goes and they repent. And it's kind of like the only other cities that is mentioned that God destroyed is Sodom and Gomorrah. Wiped out the whole place because of the evilness. The same thing was going to happen to Nineveh. So God sent Jonah. David needed to be saved from himself. God sent Nathan. The world needed salvation. God sent Jesus. So here's what I want to tell you. We are ambassadors of Christ. We represent Christ. Therefore, God will send us into the lives of people. And God will send people into our lives. So what I want to tell you today, and, and this is where I'm going with this, is that we have to be receptive to people stepping into our lives and intervening by God. Are you with me? Also, we have to be willing to step into other people's lives. You agree with that? Say yes. I found out that a lot of times, and it's got to be done, but got to be done right. But a lot of times, when I when I say things like this, we hesitate. I mean, the last thing that you want to do is see somebody doing something that they're not doing, and you walk over and talk to them and say, "Hey, I want to talk to you about something. This thing that you're doing, it's coming to a screeching halt." You know what I'm saying? You, you can't do it like that. Hey, the way you're living, oh, the people that you're hanging out with, nobody really wants to do that. I believe that, that well, here's what I believe. I believe a lot of times, you know, a lot of people don't want to be confronted about things in their life. Nobody wants to be confronted. Just raise your hand if you're a person that you like somebody to bring out and prove that you're wrong. Isn't that fun? Well, here's, here, A, B, these are three reasons why you are completely wrong. Oh, thank you for that. Thank you, for, thank you because I'm going to get better today after that meeting. Nobody wants to do that, right? Nobody likes the way that feels. But the main reason why we don't speak into people's lives is because we don't want them, now correct me if I'm wrong, we don't want them to think that we are judging them. Is that pretty accurate? A lot of times when we don't, a lot of, well, I just don't want to get involved. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about somebody that you love, somebody that's a part of your life. A lot of times you won't confront somebody or you won't intervene on behalf of what you feel God is leading you to do because you don't want that person to feel judged by you. So I got to diving into that. And I think, I think that is because Matthew 7 and 1 has been, has been misquoted. Probably one of the greatest misquotations of scripture in the Bible. I actually heard somebody say this the other day. He was talking about this person's lifestyle, what they were wrapped up in. And he said, I, he said, I don't say anything. I'm like, I'm just curious. Why not? I said, well... Judge not lest you be judged, right? We feel like that. I don't want to feel judgment. I don't want anybody to think, well, there's Travis. He's all judgmental and all. Stay away from him. Don't let him know how your lifestyle, you know what I'm saying? 
Matthew 7, 1 says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So at first glance, it says, man, don't judge other people. There's a whole other part of that verse. And a lot of people that don't want to be confronted, maybe me, a lot of people that don't want to be confronted in their lives will say, hey, this is what the, the Bible says, we're not to judge others. But does the Bible really say that? There is a difference between judging the actions of a person that's close to you and then just being downright judgmental, okay? There's a difference. The passage actually continues, and it's really not about judging as much as it is about hypocrisy. Jesus goes, I'm not going to read it, but you can read it later. Jesus goes on to say, what's going on is you're focused on the speck in your friend's eye when you have a plank in your own eye. So what he's talking about is hypocrisy. He's saying, first of all, if you're going to call somebody out, if you don't like the word judge, we'll call, we'll call it calling people out. That's a little easier, okay? If you're going to call somebody out for something that's going on in them, you, you don't need to be doing it exponentially. He was talking to Pharisees, and he was talking to them about being hypocrites, which is basically a pretender. He says, you're pointing your finger at people, and you don't have your own house clean. So it's not that you don't call people out. It's just that if you place yourself in a position where you call somebody out, you need to make sure you're not doing the same things. Are you with me? So let's go back to the question. And I know that I'm addressing something here. Should we never judge? Should we never judge people? Well, let's read the scripture. Let's not take Travis's word or opinion. For John 7 and 24 says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Those in my Bible, those words are read, which means these are, these are Jesus' words and his teachings. He says, don't judge by appearance. In other words, if you're going to judge, judge correctly. And 1 Corinthians says, 1 Corinthians 2 and 15 says, the spiritual man makes judgments about all things. How are we to decipher between right and wrong if we don't have judgment, okay? Now remember, there's a, there's a difference in having good judgment and making a judgment about certain things and being downright judgmental and condemning okay we don't condemn and we're not judgmental but there's a difference within the body of Christ we not only have a right but we have a responsibility to call each other out in love if you don't like the word judge we'll call, we'll call it call you out look at your neighbor and say I'm going to call you out today look at your other neighbor and say I'm going to call you out today we have a right and we have a responsibility as brothers in Christ to, to call each other out and for, to be receptive of somebody calling us out. So if we're going to do this, if we're going to give each other a green light on this, it needs context. Otherwise, that's a good way to get in trouble. <laughs> okay? First of all, if that's something that we're going to practice, number one, you've got to have the right motive. And the motive has to be love. I've had a lot of uncomfortable conversations as a pastor, but something that I have been committed to do as I've grown older is knowing no matter what kind of conversation I have with anybody, when we walk away, that person's going to know that I love him, that I love her. Are you with me? That's, that's, that it's kind of like you have to have permission, and love gives you permission. In 1 Corinthians 5 and 12, it said, 
the Apostle Paul's talking to a church that sin was going on in the church, and he says, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. He's saying people that don't belong to the body of Christ, people that don't call themselves Christians. He says, it's not my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is certainly, or it is, it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. Is there anything unclear about that passage? There's not. So here's the deal. you got to have the right motive. It's got to be a brother and sister in Christ, which means it's about love and it's about family. Let me give you some, some just, let me drop some knowledge. Don't, don't call anybody out that you've never met before, okay? Don't, don't do that. You've got to be in a relationship with someone. Number two, if you're going to do that, not only do you have the right motive, you have to have the right purpose. And the purpose has to be salvation. I'm trying to save this person from whatever they're headed. This person is going down a path of destruction. James 5 and 19 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of sin. So here's the deal. The, the motive is I'm trying to, based on my knowledge of the word of God, based on what I've learned uh, growing up in church or whatever, based on that, I, I'm trying to save this person from a path of destruction. And how do I know that his lifestyle or her lifestyle is a path of destruction? Because I know my Bible. Are you with me? And let me tell you something. Don't call somebody out with your opinion. Okay? Never call somebody out with your opinion. If you're going to call somebody, if you're going to call me out, you better, be, you better be quoting the Word of God. I need you to show me in the Word of God how I'm blowing it, okay? Don't, you know, this thing of, well, we all, everybody's saying, you know what I'm saying? Well, let me tell you what everybody's saying about you. Let me tell you whatever, what I think about what everybody thinks about me, okay? You got to do that. You got to do that knowing the Word of God with the right purpose. Therefore, intervention. We must be willing to confront each other in love. We must be willing to be confronted in love. Amen? And let me tell you something. It, 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 this, this steps on my toes. This is not easy. Nobody wants to be confronted. Nobody wants to confront. But, but God confronts his people through his people. Yes, he sends his sin to son. Yes, he has sent the scripture. Yes, he has his Holy Spirit. But he also sends people. And when we hold back and confronting people or intervening on God's behalf, on their behalf, when we hold back and, and we reject people speaking to us, we reject what God wants to do in our lives. If you believe that, say yes. I want to close with this. You know, one of these days, we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account for our lives. You believe that? According to Hebrews 4 and 12, either the Bible is true or it is not true. And when you stand before God, if you've given your life to Christ, it's not about salvation, it's about reward. But if, if you somehow reject the Lord, if you never give your life to Christ, if you never give, get around to it, in our Western society, in our Western culture, with, with, with a church on every street corner, with all the technology, you can pick up your phone right now and hear the best preachers in the world. You can hear the best theology. You can, you can have a, a pod, you can listen to podcasts about this. If you stand before God one of these days and never give your life to Christ, my friend, you're going to be completely without excuse. 
Because God has, has sent his son for the solution of salvation. And he, he gives scripture, which is his word. And he, he gives his spirit to deal with us. But if that's not enough, he has sent his servants into your life. Maybe he has sent your father or he has sent your mother to talk to you about your lifestyle. And maybe that didn't work. And, and maybe you've, you've listened to teachers and kids ministry. Or maybe you've rejected workers or co-workers or whatever. Can I tell you that I am one of those people. I'm a servant that God has sent to speak to people, to confront people. And every single Sunday, I confront people about their lifestyle. And that is the most, that is the hardest thing. That is the thing that I dread the most about this. I, I love seeing people. I love ministering to people. I love preaching about hope and salvation and all the goodness of God and all the things that God has done to reach out. I hate the part where I have to, where I have to preach about sin. I wish that we could just all be happy. We could get along and, and I, don't, I don't care about whatever sin that you got going. I don't care. Say, Travis, you don't know my life. So I really, I don't care. I love you and, and you know, that's it, not going to affect our conversation. I'll go anywhere, do anything, hang out with you. That, I, I love the people. I love the church. I dread the parts of the messages where I, have to, where I have to talk to people about the things. I wrestle with it so bad. It's got, Travis, why don't you just... The enemy, I believe the enemy kind of kicks me around a little bit. Travis, why don't you not worry about that stuff? And besides that, ain't nobody listening anyway. Once they leave the church, they're going to do whatever they want to do anyway. You just wasted time. You, people quit because they got offended. You're up there preaching about sin and lifestyle. Why are you doing all that? As a shepherd, I have a responsibility to intervene on behalf of God and speak to people. That's the part that... Sometimes we miss out on as pastors because there is a side of my heavenly father that has done so much to bring people to salvation that he did more than I could ever do by giving his son. He did so much. And to reach out, and, and if you really see, if you really pay attention to what God has done, he has done so much to reach the world. That is such an incredible loving God. That that's, that's the God that we love, but there's a side of God that we don't mention much in church. There's another side of God that, that if I don't warn you about, there's another side of God that, that if I don't bring up every now and then, God will hold me accountable to, and he tells me in his word in James, the third chapter, that you shouldn't even be a teacher if you don't have this. Because you're going to stand before God, Travis, and you're held to a higher standard of judgment because I have given you a message and I've given you insight. And I've given you a path to confront people as intervention. Listen to this verse in Hebrews 10 and 26. It says, dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. When's the last time you heard that passage in church? I almost never hear that passage. I, because we don't want to bring that up. But it's true, isn't it? I mean, it's just as true as God so loved the world. Isn't it? Yes. Yes. It is. Verse 29 says, just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled the Son of God. Remember, he sent his Son 
Jesus is the word in the flesh, his son, the word, the scripture, and have treated the blood of the covenant, which made us holy as if it were, which was, has made us holy as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy on us. If we continue to reject intervention after, in, listen to verse 31. It is a terrible thing to fall in the hands of a living God. The translation of that word terrible is dreadful, fearful. What he's saying is, if you meet God if, at your judgment without accepting Christ, it is the most horrific thing that you can ever experience. And we don't bring that up very much in church because it, it doesn't... It doesn't get the crowd roll. Yay! Way to go, Travis! But maybe, maybe, those are the things that need to be said more than ever now. As an act of intervention to turn people around. God has called me to. Now, now I, I, I'm showing you. I'm showing you this because I want us to learn this. I want you to be confident to talk to people that are heading down the wrong path, that we have a responsibility. And the way that I have a responsibility, we have a responsibility. Second of all, if you're headed down the wrong path, I want you to be receptive to what God wants to speak to your life. Amen? So, Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for speaking to us today. And, Lord, maybe there are people here that need to experience intervention from a loving Father. Thank you that you have done so much to reach out to your people. Lord, you, you brought your Son into this world. You brought, you brought Scripture. You brought the Word into this world and your Holy Spirit. And if that were not enough, you use your servants to intervene. Why? Because how great is your love towards your children. May we be receptive to your intervention in Christ's name. As your heads are bowed, maybe you're here and you know Christ. He's Lord and Savior. But you're headed down a path of destruction. Maybe you're headed down the wrong path. If you don't turn around, it's going to lead you into a place separation with God he's Lord and Savior alive but if, but if you don't stop doing what you're doing maybe God is dealing with you right now listen this is an opportunity to make things right or maybe today there's somebody that you need to go visit who do you need to go visit that you need to intervene you see what's happening in his life in her life but you keep putting that off. Is God dealing with you right now? It's time for me to go see you. It's time for me to sit across from my friend and have a heart to heart. If you don't do it, if not you, then who? Is God speaking to you today? Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person, every believer. Lord, I pray that we are receptive to what you want to say. What are you saying to people today? I pray that we are receptive to whatever you want to do and whatever you want to say. What conversations do we need to have? What things do we need to change? 
What lifestyle do we need to let go of? Thank you for loving us enough, for confronting us, even if it upsets us, even if it makes us angry, even if it, if it changes us. Thank you for loving us enough to give us truth. In the name of Jesus, if you receive that same man, if you'll continue to bow your heads, if you're listening to me today, if you're watching us online, if you don't know Jesus, he's not Lord and Savior of your life, I want to pray with you. I'm not going to ask anybody to stand or raise your hand. I just want to pray. And as we pray, if the Lord is dealing with you, say, Travis, I've, I've never given my life to Christ. And today I really feel like he's drawing me to do that. Or maybe you can say, Travis, I've walked away from him. And today I feel like he's calling me home. That's okay. That's all right. Just because you leave him does not mean that he leaves you. Whatever reason you know you're not right with the Lord and you want to make things right, I want to pray with you right now. Just repeat after me and let's all pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, as I am before you today, I give you my life. And I'm asking you to be Lord and Savior of my life, to forgive me for all of my sins. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died for me and rose from the dead. And from this moment on, my life is committed to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Come on, guys, let's celebrate.